Greetings. Thank you all for returning to this week's new study episode titled, The Fellowship of the Early Believers, Part 1. I am Pastor John, welcoming our returning global audience of unchurched, self-study people, as well as those who are part of a church. For anyone looking for greater depths in God's Word with a stronger personal study, we also extend a warm welcome to all our new listeners here for the first time. Thank you all for listening. May you all be blessed of God. Our last episode was The Holy Spirit and the Day of Pentecost, Part 3, posted on January 15th. With regard to the men of Galilee receiving the gift of tongues given by the Holy Spirit, we learned not that they spoke one language and different languages were heard, but the apostles spoke with different languages, for otherwise the miracle would have been in the hearers, whereas it really is in the speakers. From Geneva Bible Translation Notes No miracle could be more decided than this. There was no way in which the apostles could impose on them and make them suppose they spoke foreign languages, if they really did not, for these foreigners were abundantly able to determine that. It may be remarked that this miracle had most important effects besides that witnessed on the day of Pentecost. The gospel would be carried by from Barnes' New Testament Notes. To find out more, listen to our previous episode titled The Holy Spirit and the Day of Pentecost, Part 3. This week, our study is The Fellowship of the Early Believers, Part 1. Our scripture reads, They were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Reverential awe came over everyone, and many wonders and miraculous signs came about by the apostles. All who believed were together and held everything in common, and they began selling their property and possessions and distributing the proceeds to everyone as anyone had need. From the Book of Acts, Chapter 2, Verses 42 through 45. While a bit ahead of our starting point in verse 42, verse 45 tells us, They began selling their property and possessions and distributing the proceeds to everyone as anyone had need. It is one thing to sell your property and possessions for various reasons of personal need. Yet, notice, they also distributed the proceeds to everyone as anyone had need. We will learn more on that when we get there. However, that verse frightens many people in America, and maybe other places also, today. Even in the past of many years ago, nothing has changed in this regard. As many were frightened by this verse, as many are now. To learn if this fear is valid, let us start at the beginning for a full perspective. Verse 42 reads, 
then they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. At first read, we see that those saved were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. These recent converts from the massive conversion we learned about in the last three episodes, the Holy Spirit and the Day of Pentecost, parts 1 through 3, were devoted to their learning and fellowship one with another. The word devote or devoted means a few things based on its literary and or spoken usage. In this case, in verse 42, it means to vow, to appropriate by vow, to set apart, to dedicate by a solemn act, to consecrate. No devoted thing that a man shall devote to the Lord shall be sold or redeemed. Every devoted thing is most holy to the Lord. From Noah Webster's 1828 Dictionary of American English. Wait a minute. What was that last part of the definition? No devoted thing that a man shall devote to the Lord shall be sold or redeemed. Every devoted thing is most holy to the Lord. This is where confusion can be caused. Just how were these people devoted? Verse 42 told us, they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. So, clearly, in this situation, they had nothing that could not be sold or redeemed as one does in some form of transaction involving something of any value. In this case, they were devoted to their learning and devoted to developing friendships. From how verse 42 reads, they were making sure they learned at every opportunity to do so. They were also developing their fellowship with other people, working to become better relations in however they were relating one to another, as friends, as loved ones, as man and wife, and so forth. They were also devoted to their breaking of bread and to prayer. What does breaking of bread mean? Is this a descriptive way to speak of communion, or is breaking of bread meaning of eating meals together like lunch and or dinner? And they continued steadfastly. They preserved in, or they adhered to. This is the inspired record of the result, that any of these apostatized is nowhere recorded and is not to be presumed. Though they had been suddenly converted, though suddenly admitted to the church, though exposed to much persecution and contempt and many trials, yet the record is that they adhered to the doctrines and duties of the Christian religion. The Apostles' Doctrine This does not mean that they held or believed the doctrines of the Apostles, though that was true, but it means that they adhered to or attended on their teaching or instruction. The word doctrine 
has now a technical sense and means a collection and arrangement of abstract views supposed to be contained in the Bible. In the scriptures, the word means simply teaching, and the expression here denotes that they continued to attend on their instructions. One evidence of conversion is a desire to be instructed in the doctrines and duties of religion, and a willingness to attend on the preaching of the gospel. The word rendered fellowship is often rendered communion. It properly denotes having things in common, or participation, society, friendship. It may apply to anything which may be possessed in common, or in which all may partake. Thus, all Christians have the same hope of heaven, the same joys, the same hatred of sin, the same enemies to contend with. The word here may apply to either or to all, to their conversion, their prayers, their dangers, or their property, and means that they were united to the apostles and participated with them in whatever befell them. It may be added that the effect of a revival of religion is to unite Christians more and more, and to bring those who were before separated to union and love. Christians feel that they are a band of brethren, and that however much they were separated before they became Christians, now they have great and important interests in common, united in feelings, in interests, in dangers, in conflicts, in opinions, and in the hopes of a blessed immortality. Breaking of bread. The Syriac renders this the Eucharist, or the Lord's Supper. It cannot, however, be determined whether this refers to their partaking of their ordinary food together, or to feasts of charity, or to the Lord's Supper. The bread of the Hebrews was made commonly into cakes, thin, hard, and brittle, so that it was broken instead of being cut. Hence, to denote intimacy or friendship, the phrase to break bread together would be very expressive in the same way as the Greeks denoted it by drinking together. From the expression used in Acts chapter 2 verse 44, compared with Acts chapter 2 verse 46, that they had all things common, it would rather seem to be applied that this referred to participation of their ordinary meals. This was one effect of the influence of the Holy Spirit and an evidence of their change. A genuine revival will be always followed by a love of prayer. From Barnes, New Testament Notes That was a fair bit of commentary to better define what Scripture is telling us. The most prominent thing we should be able to see is the fact that the phrase breaking of bread does not necessarily mean they were in a state of communion. Yet, it could mean that they really were in a state of communion or, in other words, celebrating the Lord's Supper. 
However, the expression, breaking of bread, does not really define what they were actually doing when they were breaking bread. Was it a spiritual meal or a common meal like lunch? For this answer, the phrase, breaking of bread, tells us nothing more than what it says. To look deeper, this commentary passage gives us four items to look at more closely. First, though they had been suddenly converted, though suddenly admitted to church, though exposed to much persecution and contempt, and many trials, yet the record is that they adhered to the doctrines and duties of the Christian religion. That quote tells us a lot already. Even though they were exposed to much persecution and contempt and many trials, yet the record is that they adhered to the doctrines and duties of the Christian religion. When today people persecute you, have contempt for you, and you experience many trials that try your patience and ability to stand firm in your faith, how do you make out in such situations? What is your end result? Do you stand firm in the face of such things? Or do you eventually collapse? What did these converts, new converts, do? The record is that they adhered to the doctrines and duties of the Christian religion. This is what we need to aspire to, despite how things cause us to buckle under the load. We need to remain strong in our faith, remembering, too, that this earthly life is not a permanent situation and or condition. One evidence of conversion is a desire to be instructed in the doctrines and duties of religion and a willingness to attend on the preaching of the gospel. There are many means of identifying someone who is truly saved and dedicated to serving Christ our Lord. Of the many, one evidence is a desire to be instructed in the doctrines and duties of religion and a willingness to attend on the preaching of the gospel. Simply put, there is an obvious desire to be instructed, and there is also a willingness to attend the preaching of the gospel. Does that desire kindle in you the want to do both? Notice, you are not being told to find a church or to attend a church. However, it is better if you do. Here in America, that is better said than done with the prolific number of cold churches that can be easily found today. Churches where the attending populace has shrunk into the attending body alone, meaning no new people, displaying no outward signs to a struggling world. This is more so today than ever before. People simply cannot find the peace and happiness they seek by accepting the gospel and getting saved in Christ because it is no longer shared to draw people in. This is one reason the church body has so greatly contracted here in America. Learning Further 
Christians feel that they are a band of brethren, and that however much they were separated before they became Christians, now they have great and important interests in common, united in feelings, in interests, in dangers, in conflicts, in opinions, and in the hopes of a blessed immortality. Barnes just told us how we band together, all brothers and sisters everywhere, so we can maintain our strength and do what God has called us to do. Instead of pointing an accusing finger at our brethren and people in general, we need to feel that we are a band of brethren. Now we have great and important interests in common, united in feelings, in interests, in dangers, in conflicts, in opinions, and in the hopes of a blessed immortality. Simply put, we need to put our full focus toward what is productive and gets results in our faith. Yes, we have jobs and responsibilities we need to live up to, but we all have free time. What are we doing with that free time? Why? A genuine revival will be always followed by a love of prayer. Do we see many revivals on the Internet? Do you take what you see and hear as truth? The one question we all can ask is, if these revivals are really true, where is the love of prayer that always follows a genuine revival? That question really needs an answer. Moving forward, verse 43 reads, Reverential awe came over everyone, and many wonders and miraculous signs came about by the apostles. And fear came, that is, there was a great reverence or awe. The multitude had just before derided them. But so striking and manifest was the power of God on this occasion that it silenced all clamors and produced a general feeling of profound respect, reverence, and awe. The effect of a great work of God's grace is commonly to produce an unusual seriousness and solemn observance in a community, even among those who are not convicted. It restrains, subdues, and silences opposition. Every soul, every person, or individual, that is, upon the people general, not only on those who became Christians, but upon the multitudes who witnessed these things. All things were fitted to produce this fear. The recent crucifixion of Jesus of Nazareth, the wonders that attended that event, the events of the day of Pentecost, and the miracles performed by the apostles were all fitted to diffuse solemn observance and thought and anxiety through the community. Many wonders and signs. This was promised by the Savior. Reference, Mark 
chapter 16, verse 17. Some of the miracles which they wrought were specified in the following chapters. From Barnes' New Testament Notes We should first note the word usage here as some Bibles use the word fear instead of the phrase reverential awe. It should be noted that reverential awe is more to the point than the word fear implies at first read, especially how the word fear is perceived in the modern mind. We should also ask ourselves if we truly have the feelings of profound respect, reverence, and awe. Do we possess a solemn reverence in a community, even among those who are not convicted or converted? The answer to both these questions should be an honest yes. Notice, too, our verse reference. I will quote the complete context. These signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new languages. They will pick up snakes with their hands, and whatever poison they drink will not harm them. They will place their hands on the sick, and they will be well. From Mark chapter 16, verses 17 through 18. In this passage alone, from the Gospel of Mark, there are four things. God's believers can now do of miraculous things that humans were never able to do before their conversion in Christ. Now, the book of Acts, we read, All who believed were together and held everything in common, and they began selling their property and possessions and distributing the proceeds to everyone as anyone had need. In verse 42, a reasoning for what happens in verse 45. In closing, let's see. And all that believed were together, not in one place, for no one house could hold them all. Their number was now so large, but they agreed together, as the Arabic version renders it, all these believers were of one mind and judgment as to doctrines. They agreed in their sentiments and principles of religion, and they were of one heart and soul, were cordially affected to each other, and mutually were assisting to one another in temporal or earthly things as well as in spiritual and had all things common, that is, their worldly goods, their possessions, and estate. No man called anything peculiarly his own, and whatever he had his brother was welcome to, and might as freely take and use it as if it was his own. From the new John Gill's exposition of the entire Bible. Notice these believers' attitude and thinking. All these believers were of one mind and judgment. 
as to doctrines, they agreed in their sentiments and principles of religion, and they were of one heart and soul, were cordially affected to each other, and mutually were assisting to one another in temporal or earthly things as well as in spiritual, and had all things common. What church have you attended today where all these things were how that church and body of believers work? Here, in America, churches like these have been in serious decline and only a limited number remain depending on where you live. Now we note this last issue involving a person's possessions. This commentary passage said, No man called anything peculiarly his own. The noted result, whatever a person had, their brother or sister was welcome to and might as freely take and use it as if it was their own. What did they get rid of? Their houses and lands, their fields and vineyards, their goods, movable or immovable. From the New John Gill's exposition of the entire Bible. Can we today, should we today, have such a loose grip on our possessions? Willing to give them over to bless another at a moment's notice? Notice further and parted them to all men that were of their society, not to others, as every man had need. The rich sold their estates and divided them among the poor, or gave them such a portion thereof when they as their present urgent demand required. This was done by Jews, and by Jews only, who, when they embraced the gospel of Christ, were informed that the destruction of their city and nation was at hand, and therefore they sold their estates beforehand and put them to this use, which was necessary to be done, both for the support of the gospel in Judea and for the carrying and spreading of it among the Gentiles. But this is not to be drawn into a precedent or an example in after times, nor is ever any such thing proposed to the Christian churches or exhorted by any of the apostles. There you have it, despite what you may have been told by some teachers and or preachers today. It is simply an act of goodwill with no requirements to do it in our Bibles. It is not a teaching of Christ when he was on the earth either. Giving any of our possessions to another is simply an act of goodwill to another in the moment that it happens. Many American teachings over a great period of time have told us that we show just how great a Christian we really are if we do not hold on to our possessions. Willing to give them up at a moment's notice is supposed to say just how great a Christian we really are. If that is true, how has John Gill come to a different conclusion?
imparted them to all men. That is, they sold their goods for the purpose of distributing to the poor so far as there was need, and they did this so freely that they might be said to have all things common. The idea which has been sometimes entertained that the early Christians adopted the principle of a community of goods as the basis of their system of social polity is clearly erroneous. All the allusions to the subject of property which occur hereafter in this book and in the epistles show that the title to property continued to be held personally by individuals and was not vested in the church. Hence, the rich and the poor are constantly spoken of and contributions are taken up in the churches when required. From John S. C. Abbott and Jacob Abbott, Illustrated New Testament, 1878. This notion of giving anything to anybody as the need arises or seems to arise is what? Clearly erroneous. How is that demonstrated? All the allusions to the subject of property which occur hereafter in this book and in the epistles show that the title to property continued to be held personally by individuals and was not vested in the church. Hence, the rich and the poor are constantly spoken of and contributions are taken up in the churches when required. Next week, we will examine our next episode titled The Fellowship of the Early Believers, Part 2. Do believers fellowship today? Is that fellowship conditional on any level? Should fellowship be conditional for any reason? Join us next week as we continue looking for the answers to these questions and more. Play or download our episodes from one of our podcast hosts, or follow direct links to these platforms on our website under the podcast menu item. Details follow. This study podcast is a wholly self-funded outreach presented by the Church of the Unchurched. Currently, an all-electronic, Boston-based outreach uniting the community of lost, searching, lonely, and forgotten in Christ. We greatly appreciate serving our international audience. God bless you all. If you are visiting for the first time, welcome, and God bless you. We look forward to the return of all our faithful listeners and new listeners. Please share our podcast with family, friends, and others you believe would find it a blessing. Thank you all so much. God bless you all. If you are unsaved, we truly hope you find God as well as receiving Him as Lord and Savior of your life. Please find a short link to our episode titled, How to be Saved, at the bottom of any episode description. To learn more about us and who we are, give our episode titled, Introduction, About Us, Who We Are, a listen. 
In that episode, you will learn more about us, who we are reaching out to, our mission, vision, ministry, and more. Again, a short link to this episode is found at the bottom of any episode description. If you go to our internet homepage, under the podcast menu item, you can find many popular podcast platforms we are found on. We are located at this internet address, unchurched.site123.me. At present, we are located on a growing number of podcast sites, so you should be able to find us on a platform you like. We refresh all our feeds with every weekly episode upload on Sundays. These sites update our feed within 24 hours of our refresh. Now, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by grace gave us eternal comfort and good hope encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good thing you do or say. Until next week. This is Pastor John for the Church of the Unchurched.